Hey, what's going on, everyone? My name is Corey Behrens, and you are listening to the Simplistic Views Podcast. This is a podcast where I explore the lives and works of digital media content creators and marketers. Today, I am joined by Eric Floberg, who is a digital online creator. He's a YouTuber. He's one of the best wedding filmmakers, in my opinion, and he's a father to three beautiful children. Eric, how's it going, man? going great man thanks for that intro that was super sweet you're really good at those intros dude yeah that was straight off the dome not gonna lie like i (laughs) i kind of had an idea where that was going but that they're usually straight off the dome dude i know now we have a podcast now and i'm like i have to read off a script i can't just i it's all littered with ums and being like oh man so hey uh can you give the audience like a little context i know this is like the one of the first questions that everyone asks that i also hate but like uh, just to give the audience some context as to who you are and what you do. Totally, yeah. Um, you mentioned it in the intro that I do uh, YouTube and I photograph and film weddings. But even just this past year, my job is just kind of siphoned off into a bunch of branches of different things. So I'm now, <coughs> excuse me, pre- oh wow, this is like a 17-year-old Eric just came out right there. <laughs> it's early. We're going through some growing pains right now. <laughs> Uh, we started a podcast in uh, the beginning of this year, in 2021. Uh, my, my friend Steven and I called Rally Caps, so I'm a co-host of that now. I started a new finance YouTube uh, channel with my close friend Mike, so that channel is called Eric and Mike. And so we have those two things going as well. Uh, I am a part, part owner of a creative space in Chicago called Creative Club Chicago. And as of this month, we're actually moving up two floors in this building uh, to get to double our space so we can have more dedicated space to podcast and to do YouTube talking heads and to rent out the studio for shooting. So yeah, it's kind of equally just doing all those things. Now I'm trying to bring down the amount of weddings I'm shooting per year. Uh, since 2020, all those postponed to 2021, I'm shooting more than I'd really like to this year. So I'm, it's going to be a grind, uh, but kind of in years uh, looking down the road in 2022 and beyond, I'm hoping to kind of be in the eight to 12 wedding window, uh, still making content on my personal channel. And then those other two channels with the podcast and the finance. So yeah, it's kind of where I'm at. I like your future outlook on that. Um, I think, you know, I was, I, I still do weddings too, uh, but not as much as I did in the past. And I think eight to 12 weddings is probably like prime, like everyone, like I think, I think most people that are in the wedding film or wedding photography industry, like that, that's their equilibrium. Like that's where they want to be. You know, they don't have a wedding every single weekend that they have to prep for. They can just go ahead and, and uh, live life as it should be relaxing. Right. Yeah. It seems to be the goal for everybody. And I feel very lucky to kind of be in the place where that is a possibility for me. My issue is I'm such a yes man. So uh, if I get a ton of inquiries, I'm, I might just be like, oh, that's another paycheck or, oh, that's another opportunity or, oh, that's a cool place, you know? And so it, when it gets to this point, it does take some discipline. So the other component of that that I didn't mention in, in all of the work I'm doing now, I also have a, a Patreon where I, I do extra content um, for wedding photographers and filmmakers, just kind of doing BTS of all the stuff that I do, whether it's portrait sessions or behind the scenes at a wedding or a commercial shoot that I do. Um, and so I, I also feel this necessity of like, if I'm going to keep making content about that, I don't just want to drop off the face of the earth and not shoot any weddings at all anymore. Like I still want to be relatable to people who want to learn from me and still want to be connected to that space if I'm still going to be teaching in that space. 
you know, it doesn't have to be 20 to 30 weddings a year while I do that, you know, I'm still able to totally make that happen with, you know, eight to 12. So that's the other component too, where I'm like, I still, and, and I love it. I just love doing it. Dude, after like the night ends, I feel so accomplished. Like I yeah. feel like, oh, I just like ran a marathon. I just went through all these hoops, like, and it was fun. Yeah. It, it really sets you up for so much success. We're realizing, so Mike and I, outside of the finance channel, we're, we're doing a million things. Everyone keeps being like, how do you do this? And it's, it's like, my answer to that has just been like community and surrounding myself with people who come alongside me to do these things. But Mike and I are also starting dabbling in, in commercial work. Um, we think we just landed on kind of a name and a brand for what that'll be as well. So Eric and Mike will kind of be a BTS of all the financial and business side of what that commercial work will be. I think ultimately, um, that commercial brand will kind of oversee that channel. Uh, but the more and more commercial work we do and the more and more we've been relating to commercial clients, the more and more we're seeing how wedding photography and filmmaking has set us up for so much success in that space and transitioning to a space that's not as relational, but we're bringing that relational component into commercial work. And I feel like so many businesses and brands aren't used to that. They're just not used to, they're not used to people like relating to them on a personal level and talking to them about their family and like getting emotional behind the things that we do. We just went on a shoot a week and a half ago and we did a voiceover for literally like a 30 second video, 30, 30 second to a minute video. And we jammed on this voiceover with them. And we could tell like these people on the marketing team of this business are like, they're really invested in this business. They've worked there for a decade and they're emotionally invested. And so as we kind of worked on this script together, we got it to this place where like we were really happy with it. And then I put on like my YouTube voice and I read the voiceover to them. And like there were tears in the room just being like, wow, like we're all really proud of this now. And that moment was like, it just felt like all this intersecting of all of our, our strengths um, and being able to relate to people. And a lot of that foundation is because we've shot weddings and been able to relate to people in those emotional ways. So that was really tangential. But Well, <laughs> I, I want to jump off onto that too, is that yeah. uh, a lot of times when, like the summer when I was working, I was working around the country and doing different things. And why one of the more specific jobs was I was working um, as a camera assistant on a uh, production for um, like a fertility clinic. And the fertility clinic, they had worked with videographers in the past um, but they, uh, like the, so, um, my, my pal, my good pal, uh, Robert Decora, uh, he's just like been a huge mentor to me. I, uh, he, uh, he comes at like filmmaking and videography in such like a, like a, like a, a people centric way. He, uh, he, he really taught me like how to, uh, interact with customers, interacting with, with clients and stuff like that, because a lot of times, and even they, they even said this uh, on one of our shoots, they said, well, you know, we've had videographers in the past, but they never like interacted with us and never really wanted to talk with us. They just wanted to get the shot and go to the next shot. They didn't create that experience. So when I was working with Rob, he kind of showed me the ropes of like, this is how you create an experience. This is how you make a positive you know, impact on the organization and make them remember you. Right. Yeah. The, honestly, we're starting to be more and more convinced that that's more important than the actual visual and audio that you're able to capture. Just because in the same way, I always prep all of my couples when I'm, if I'm going to go do a portrait shoot with them, I always do 
a little pep talk, you know, five to 10 minute pep talk at the beginning saying like, hey, being in front of a camera is a very weird thing that all of us are not used to doing. So like, it's going to feel weird and it's going to feel awkward. And as we get into it, as we get to know each other more, like through this process, you're just going to feel more and more comfortable. We'll be playing music. We'll be having conversations. You guys can eat and drink or we'll do whatever. And so just kind of bringing that same thing into the commercial space as well, where it's like, we don't even need to take the cameras out yet. Let's just talk. Like we had dinner with one of the employees the night before and just like talked about all of his history in, it was a printing house. So it's just like all of his history of him and his wife and being in the photography scene and, and the, the printing scene. And we had no idea that they were like celebrities in that world. And so being able to connect with them in that way brought so much more clarity to the company and what that employee meant to the company. And then you start like connecting all these pieces where then you're able to relate to some of the employees in a completely different way where then you bring up that guy and, and his history and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're jamming on that and they just feel so much more comfortable in front of camera and with the whole experience of you being there. Exactly. And you talked earlier about being a yes man. Uh, let's go ahead and let's talk about maybe because I also have that problem. Someone's like, hey, could you do this? And I'm like, I may not actually want to do it. Um, and I'm like, okay, sure, fine. But like, while I'm doing it, I'm kind of dreading it. Uh, can you talk about like some certain uh, examples or, or ways you can curb not being a yes man 24 seven? Yeah, recently, like, it's funny, because like, I think I told you this on the podcast, I was like, man, I'm trying not to do podcast appearances as much as possible. But like, I also want to be the person where if you went to the extent that you did, Corey, of like your talking head was gorgeous. It was perfectly centered. Like it was symmetrical and you, like the intentionality was so good. Your Casey Neistat reference was hilarious. Like play the intro. <sighs> I feel like Casey Neistat in this like set. <laughs> I, I can't, uh, I feel like I literally can't say no to that kind of stuff, especially since that's what I always preach where it's like, if you go above and beyond, uh, like at times you deserve to be rewarded for doing that. That's what we're trying to do with rally caps, uh, nonstop is just like go above and beyond with our pitches of scripting them out and being hysterical. We just pitched, uh, Niles and Caleb of moment. Um, and, their response was hysterical. They were like, they absolutely loved it. We pretended to be them like back and forth Okay, yeah. for their, their dad strides running podcast. And mm -hmm. it was just really funny. So I also know and want to be self-aware enough that like if my, if my following or my subscriber base or whatever gets to a certain point where there's a ton of people making those videos and like putting a ton of effort into all these pitches, I know it's not sustainable for me to say yes to all those as well. And so ultimately, I just think it it's just that piece of self-awareness and recognizing like, what are you capable of doing? Uh, what do you see as an opportunity for yourself to grow your brand? Like going on a podcast can absolutely be something that helps you grow your brand or uh, kind of unveil what you're doing to a new audience. But then other times it could just be for uh, connecting more with people and building more relationships. And it's kind of mind-blowing what you like, the connections that you make with people that you didn't think you would um, just because you had a conversation with them on a podcast. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if that really answered the question. But ultimately, yeah, like, no, it, it definitely does. But I'm just, yeah, keep going. 
I'm trying to get better at saying no. I'm trying to like, I've definitely recently uh, said no to a bunch of other things. And it's really painful for me to do it. Cause I'm such, I'm such a yes man. And I'm such a people pleaser that I feel like I'm totally letting people down. If I don't, you know, do the thing they're hoping uh, I do. Cause if I, if I am balancing all of these things, uh, I, I will take a hit to like what I'm able to do. And so even part of this, like this podcast, I was like, Hey, could we do it at 8am? Like then I could just, you know, once we're done, then I just start my work day instead of it being, you know, in the middle of the day that breaks up a work day. So getting kind of strategic with that kind of stuff and things that you do say yes to. Um, and then, yeah, not being afraid to say no, uh, and set some of those boundaries for yourself as well so that you can accomplish the tasks that you, like you really have a vision for. For sure. Thank you, by the way, for coming on the podcast. Of course, man. Yeah. yeah. But also, like, <laughs> we have a personal connection, too. Like, we hung yeah, out at a coffee yeah, shop. Yeah, like, yeah, right. Was yeah, it like yeah. a year and a half ago? Or <laughs> Yeah. So uh, Eric and I's background actually is uh, I was on a trip to uh, to like some like so I was uh, involved in the Entrepreneurs Club back at my university. And uh, I was like, I was going to, or to, I was going to Chicago, and I'm like, who do I know in Chicago like that I that I kind of look up to or that I want like want to connect with? Uh, because at that time I was thinking like, oh, because this is this is like right before this is like um, early 2019, and I'm like, oh, cool, I'm gonna move to Chicago uh, right after I graduate college. Uh, well. Come to find out, a pandemic happened, and uh, so that kind of knocked me on my butt. But I landed in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which is a cool place. I like it. Um, you know, maybe Chicago in the future. Who knows? But yeah, so I reached out to Eric and like, hey man, like I am going to be in Chicago this time. Can I meet up with you? Learn more about you? And he was like, of course. And I'm like, shout out to you, Eric. And honestly, like I, I don't like to shy away from these conversations, and and I don't want to come off as like. Hey man, I'm a celebrity. Like people are asking me to behave. At that point, uh, like people weren't asking as frequently to to hang out. And even when you said that, you talked about potentially moving to Chicago, and I was kind of at this intersecting point of like, okay, I might want to have people start editing for me. That you might potentially be a person like that. Like we could collaborate on different things. And so it's multifaceted. But even now, just with like more growth on the channel and more of an online presence. It's, it's an obviously like we can't hang out in person yeah. a lot yeah, of times. Right, right, um, right. Just trying to like, trying to balance those things and figure out like what is like, what are the choices I can make? And so that's always kind of a delicate uh, dance that I'm trying to do now of like, how can I not kill myself with meeting a ton of people, but also still like trying to meet and uh, collaborate with people in a way that can be beneficial for both parties, you know? Yeah, and that's the difficult part right now. Like, obviously, networking is no longer a thing. Um, virtual networking is a thing, and I've done a few of them, but it's just not the same. Um, so, like, you know, and if you have the opportunity, like, here's, like, a little advice for the audience right now. If you're having a difficult time networking with people, um, I get it, and it's really hard. And uh, one thing that might help you, it, it's certainly helped me, is uh, I learned this from a guy named Ryan Serhant. He's a real estate agent and broker in uh, New York City. Um, he like he's like he reaches out to like multiple people a day, and so I make it a goal to like reach out to at least two people a day, just kind of like you know get to know them, say you know drop them a line, say hey, this is my name, this is what I do. 
um, you know, interested in having a conversation with you. Um, and usually that actually like that has led up to a lot of work for me um, or or friendships as well. Like I there's like these two guys on the street uh, with their A7S3 or A7, A7, whatever. They're, they're Sony cameras. And I was like, hey, guys, what's going on? Like, you know, and I love it walking up to like guys who are filming because I'm like, Oh, I'm the weirdo. Like that. That doesn't. Like they're like. Oh, they're, it's probably just like. What, what, you know, what, what are these guys doing? Um, but like, uh, I'm like, oh, it's the. Uh, is that like the Sony camera, the A7 III or whatever? And they're like, oh yeah. And like, and they're like, oh, okay, this guy isn't weird. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's subjective. But um, you know, so it's you know just even you know walking up to random people, socially distanced, and like you know tell them what you do and stuff like that. So yeah, building that community. Just build your community. Keep doing it it's going to get better in, in whatever way you can. Yeah. That's, that's, um, making a YouTube video soon, uh, about community over competition, going to be collaborating with a handful of friends, um, on a short little film about it. And it's, it's one of the biggest, the biggest parts of my success in my career is being able to collaborate with other really talented people in the space. And, referring work to each other, hiring each other, scratching each other's backs, like, um, and just having this, having this sentiment of like, no, I'll drop what I'm doing to help you out. Like, um, that kind of mentality has just been, uh, unbelievably good for me and helping me grow leaps and bounds in what I'm capable of. Um, namely Mike, Mike, just like, buying gear that I probably wouldn't have and letting me use it and teaching me how to use a sure SM7B podcast mic and you Shout know, out to Mike. Yeah, seriously. And like pushing me to get a cinema camera and like trying new things that I would feel uncomfortable doing otherwise. Um, it's just really helped me grow as a creative and a filmmaker. And uh, now I just have so much more tools in the toolkit uh, to tell, to tell stories better. So, mm -hmm. yeah. well, Let's go back to uh, when you didn't have any tools. <laughs> Let's go back to when we were building community. In 2016, you went to an Instagram meetup and you met someone who is will would eventually play an instrumental role in your uh, in your. I, I believe it was more wedding wedding photography uh, career. But can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, for Do sure. You know who I'm referring to? Yeah, yeah. Uh I went to this random Instagram meetup, which was actually put on by my friend, John Stouffer, who wasn't my friend at that time. And I was a fanboy of that guy. Um, he was recently on my podcast, just a, a total stud, like interior photographer, um, huge Instagram following. He was put on like Peter McKinnon's shortlist of favorite Instagram followers. Oh, followers. Um, so he, I saw him at the meetup and I was just like, yo, what's up, John? Like, I'm Eric, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so there was just like a bunch of people hanging out on a rooftop. And uh, my buddy, now buddy, Daniel Inskeep was flying a drone up on the, uh, the roof. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a drone in real life. And I was just like, that's crazy. So I'm hovering around and kind of you know, being that guy, just like, oh, what's good? Whoa, let me see the, the monitor and blah, blah, you know. And so him and Rachel were there and we just had a conversation and hung out a bit. They're really introverted, so not many people were talking to them. And so we just kind of, I don't, I wouldn't even say hit it off. We just had like a small conversation and, and then followed each other on Instagram and that was that. And so 
I, I know I like once I realized who they were, I realized I had already been following them on Instagram because they were like Instagram suggested users. So I, you know, I had always at that point, um, Instagram did that with profiles. And so I realized, Oh, like, I think I already know who you guys are. And then we just kind of kept up on Instagram over the next year and, you know, messages here and there. I didn't think much of it. And then I got a random DM, uh, from Daniel and he was like, Hey, Rachel can't shoot this wedding, uh, in Thailand. Do you want to come second shoot it with me? And I was just like, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> sounds great. And so we had never like really hung out in real life, uh, outside of just an Instagram meetup for an hour. And so I find myself flying to Los Angeles for the first time ever, and then flying to China and Thailand for the first time ever on a 17 hour flight with him. And oh, we just, twice. it's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> um, that flight is so hard. It, yeah. Uh, thankfully I slept for a solid eight hours, but he infamously, <laughs> he infamously uh, rags on me because I don't, I don't remember doing this, but he's like, you didn't get up to pee once that whole flight. And I was like, what? <laughs> I don't, yeah. Dude, I make sure. Okay. So I've been to, uh, I've been to uh, China and Thailand as well. Um, I make sure on every international flight that I go on that I had the end seat because I pee all the time on those flights. Like there's just like, like every hour and I can barely like sleep at all. Normally, I'm that person on road trips that like always has to pee or just get like tiny bladder syndrome. But when I'm traveling or I'm on a flight, it's just like it goes on lock and I don't have to as much. I don't know why. So I was probably just super dehydrated. <laughs> we don't need to talk more about this. <laughs> okay. Anyway, they they uh, start Mango Street right around that time, uh, their YouTube channel which just like totally blows up. I think at that point when I went to LA, they were at like 30,000 subscribers. It was growing. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. You know, I was in my Casey Neistat phase just trying to be Casey Neistat. So I'm vlogging all of it. But there's some of the first videos on my channel and really nostalgic and fun. And so that started a relationship that has just bloomed a ton since. And we're close friends now, and uh, well, I have to say that you, I, and maybe not even aware of this right now, but did you realize that you are one of the first TikTok? Like you, you, you use a song in one of your vlogs that is currently a popular TikTok soundbite. Really, I forgot which one it is, but I, I was, I was watching some of the vlog, like some of the vlogs back then. In that, one of the, I think it's your trip to LA in specific that it, there, one of the songs you used is now a TikTok song. You ha I have to look back at it, and you have to tell yeah. me which one it is. I'll have to like, yeah, make it a TikTok and be like, yeah, I made this in 2017. No big deal. Yeah, it was just ahead of the curve before TikTok was even a thing. Yeah, yeah, it was just musically back then. <laughs> That blew my mind when I did. I didn't realize that it it was musically. It turned into TikTok. Mm -hmm. What I yeah. I feel like a grandpa these days. I just like I don't know what's going on. You and me both, brother. Even I'm 23. Do so. we need to start getting a middle part? Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> where's the grays at? There's no grays yet. Oh, dude, I have plenty on the side now. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take some of it. I'll yeah. take some of it. Mm. Oh my gosh. So you're down in Hong Kong and you don't like the food. Are you a picky eater? <laughs> I, yeah, I, traditionally, yes. I grew up a very picky eater. 
when I get put in a completely different culture, I'm always just like, oh my gosh, no. And whenever I end up eating whatever is there, that's good. I'm always like, oh, this is great. I don't know why I was freaking out. (laughs) But if, if someone doesn't push me to do that, I just won't. I'll like stick with American cuisine as much as I can and just be a sissy. Um, but yeah, I'm getting way better now that I'm like approaching 30. I'm like actually adulting a bit more now and, and yeah. trying different dishes and really enjoying a lot more cuisines recently. Atta boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see when you're, uh, so you, you, cause I also like, so when I was in Shanghai, um, I was also introduced to a lot of things that like, I just n- never like seen in my life or like there's some foods like, or like actual shrimp, like good shrimp. I was just never like around it. And so I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool, but kind of weird at the same time. Um, and then, so you go from Hong Kong and there's a lot of people, uh, you know, obviously in Hong Kong. Uh, one thing that I found was kind of funny in one of your videos while you're in Hong Kong is that you're running in the streets, but it looks kind of weird. It looks like the people are like, they're like looking at you weird, like an American running. Also, well, I guess it's Hong Kong, so not the same thing, maybe. But um, when I was in Shanghai, a lot of people stared at me because, like, they don't see white people that often. Um, so, but, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. It was, I mean, Hong Kong's very busy. and We weren't really in that uh, busy of a part of the city. But there's still just, like, so many people walking around um, just everywhere. And there was really no place I found to run. So I kind of just made it a game where it was just like dodge everyone. <laughs> like they, I probably looked like a psychopath, but that was when I was like really getting back into running. And now running is just a huge part of, of my life as well. So it's fun. It's really fun. How many miles are you running a day? Uh, I don't, I, I'm, I'm dealing with an ankle injury right now, but this, oh, okay. this past fall was probably one of my biggest segments and leading up to my marathon in November, um, I got up to like 70 miles a week. So 10 a day towards the peak of it. Um, so yeah, when I'm in that kind of season, I'm doing about that many miles. So. Man, that gives me PTSD from cross country in high school. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So, okay. So now we're, we're in Hong Kong and now we're flying, I'm going to assume like four hours, is it down to Bangkok or where, where did you end up going to? Yeah, Thailand? we went to Phuket. Um, which oh, I think okay, is okay. really far south, but mm-hmm. we it's on basically the western, uh, western side. Yes. Or, yep. Yeah, western side. Um, so we got sunsets and everything. Uh, yeah, we basically got on a flight, got on a bus, and went straight to a resort, and then just were at a resort for the wedding. The entire so it's not glamorous. Like we didn't actually get to experience Thailand, which was kind of a bummer. We, we definitely knew that going into the trip that Hong Kong would be the experience that we got to have, which we did. And it was great. I got to run a little bit, um, in Thailand. So like I got out of the resort and kind of ran around the rural area around there, which was pretty cool. But outside of that, I, I honestly would do it very differently now. Like I would love to try to get out more, take some more film portraits, that kind of stuff. Like, in a place where I've, you know, I'm very unfamiliar, try to interact with some people. So one of my, I, uh, so I, I traveled Thailand out of a backpack for an entire month last fe- or last January. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, like I brought my camera with me and, uh, I took some dope shots. There was one shot in particular. That's, that's my phone screen background right now. I'll show you, uh, I'll, I'll throw it up on the, on the, um, uh, let's see here. 
There's so many notifications. I'll throw it up on the screen for, uh, there we go. I'm not sure if you can see that. Oh yeah, right? the dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the story behind this dog is that like on the beaches every morning, there's just a bunch of dogs because people feed them. Yeah. And this dog in particular kept following me around and I felt so bad, I, I didn't have any food for it. So I, but it just kept following me around. So it was my pal for the morning while I was taking some photos on the beach. And then he ended up jumping up on a big rock and I'm like, oh, perfect, I'm getting a photo of him now. And uh, now I have a photo of him for the rest of my life and I'm so happy about it. That's, yeah, it's those little kind of interactions, uh, whether it be a little furry friend or like an actual <laughs> human, like even those just small little things of remembering trips is super fun. And again, that's why I love kind of the nostalgia of those vlogs. It's like I put a lot of hard work into making those and yeah, I mean, looking at the skill set I have now, I look back at, you know, the gear, or the sound or how little I knew about the technical parts of filmmaking at that point. Um, and it's 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 really cool to both see uh, how far I've come and from a technical perspective, but also just like the story of the community I've built and how that all came to be. So part of me wants to integrate more vlogs like that um, still. It's just really hard for me to do that because I'm very not the person that's like carrying around a gorilla pod and being like, what's up, you know? And so, yeah, same here. So it's hard to, you know, like, how do I do that in a way that still is like me, authentically really me? Okay. So, uh, on, yeah, on the subject of YouTube, let's go to YouTube. Um, so, you know, you, you obviously start with these vlogs. Um, and then you got into more of like how-to stuff, and then uh, then you started posting your wedding films on YouTube. Um, how did like that kind of shape your experience on the platform, and um, you know how has it influenced you up until this point? Yeah, uh, when I started making the vlogs, it was just kind of like okay, everybody makes vlogs, you know, it's not really that impressive or interesting, and so none of those really. Um, got any traction from an analytical perspective. Uh, but once I started making tutorials and they got like featured on blogs and the algorithm kind of put them into recommended, that's when I started to realize that YouTube is first a search platform. So a place where people go to, you know, basically Google how to learn something. And then I really kind of realized the component of uh, buildings, a YouTube platform. It really like most people find success in one of two things is, offering value to the viewer that can end up giving them some sort of skill or can help them monetarily that can help them make more money. Um, that's really kind of what I'm aimed at more with my channel. Um, and then secondly, just an entertainment perspective. So you see a lot of someone like Gus Johnson, who's a, who's a comedian who has a, a platform of millions on YouTube is just strictly entertainment. And he's, unbelievably good at it or someone like drew Gooden, um they're they're incredible at all the viners yeah all the viners yeah. uh, all those viners just kind of transitioned into to youtube um but those are the, like two of the main things i look at um and seeing how someone can realistically build a platform um on youtube and just being self-aware of that stuff now does that mean that you always have to do one of those things? No, like you could still make things for yourself and make things you're passionate about in the process, of course. But it's always just kind of balancing that line of being like, okay, what kind of value am I giving to people? How, you know, I, I'm, how am I not just like selling out and only doing sponsored videos 
um, which isn't wrong either. Like just kind of always towing the line of like, I just always want to come across and be like, I'm just going to be as transparent as I possibly can so it can benefit you all. Um, I'll teach you tutorials and BTS and how I run my business and even the numbers of the money I make so you could see what's possible or how I do stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it can, it could very quickly just turn into this thing that you're like, you, you feel this necessity of, I have to do it this certain way. Um, and while there are like clear ways to, to grow a channel and like offer the entertainment or the value, ultimately you just have to, you have to have a clear goal of like what you want it to be. Is there any way that you um, like kind of assess what you want or assess like the things that you want to accomplish during that? You know, let's say that I, you know, I'm, I, I have always wanted to start a YouTube channel. Like I have before, I just am never very consistent at it. Um, but is there like when you're, when you were kind of doing some ideation on your YouTube channel, what were some specific uh, things that you took into account when creating goals for your channel? I'm always that person that has, who has lofty goals, like a five to 10 year loose structure in my head, but it's never anything that's like completely concrete. So I look at someone like Gary Vee, who's just like enormous platform all over social media, but he has this concrete goal where it's like, I need to own the New York Jets. Like that is the end goal. I, I don't have anything like that. And so I don't want to pretend that I have goals like that, but I do have loose like ideas of like, w of what I want. And so when I started the YouTube channel, it, it really just started with this could just, this is fun for me to do. It helps me, it helps me, uh, strengthen my skills in video making in filmmaking, uh, in audio, in, in visual, uh, in, in design. And it helps me flex muscles in, in a way I haven't been. Uh, and so then, then as I continued to kind of realize like what I was good at and what I could offer to people, I started realizing that I could mix my kind of natural ability to tell stories through, you know, having already done wedding filmmaking and then just kind of teaching my perspective on, on how I run my business. And so it, it was this idea of like, okay, well, I can be a source that's helpful for these people. And in the meantime, I could just keep growing a subscriber base. Um, and that might just come off as something that's shallow, but I didn't know, I didn't realize what that could be, how I, it could be monetized eventually. I remember getting my first AdSense check. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even a, um, direct deposit. It was literally a physical check I got in the mail. I was 11 years old. Really? <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, I, on the last podcast, I talked about this, uh, but basically the TLDR version was um, in 2010 or 2011, I had a video go viral that had a hundred and something thousand views. And uh, and all the stuff was in my dad's name. And so my dad got a check for like, I think it was $150 from Google. And he was like, what, what, what's this? And I'm like, oh, um, so, uh, so I have a YouTube channel that I make stupid skits on. And he was like, oh, cool. All right, well, uh, keep doing your thing, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing to see, see something like that come out. I didn't, even real, I didn't even know what AdSense was. I didn't understand. And then I was like, am I, get, am I getting this from my YouTube? Like, what? And then it started to, 
like the gears started turning like while that's a small fraction of the pie of what most people do for monetization on their channel it just kind of opened up this reality of like wait a second and then i started connecting dots of i kept going to wedding photography workshops and having this feeling of after i went to like my second one i'm like I went to school to be a teacher. Like I could, I could totally be in that position. Like I know, I know I have what it takes to like, to teach some of this stuff and get up in front of people and do that. I know so many people have anxiety and don't want to do that, but I'm like, I'm born and bred to do that. Like how? And so I started having these feelings of, um, I started having these feelings of feeling resentful. Like if I went to one of those, I'd be like, I deserve to be up there, which is, which is selfish and dumb. Um, but it also was kind of that, um, that pull that I needed of like, well, if this has kind of just always been how things happen for me, like n nobody, nobody's seeking me out. Nobody is recognizing my talent or skill. So like, all right, I'm just gonna, I'll just try to put it out there myself, you know? And so that was a lot of kind of the motivation of starting my own thing where it's like, okay, well, and it was, I was naively being like, why, why on earth would they want me to speak? I like, I, there's nothing special about me. <laughs> And so literally every filmmaker in the entire world. Yeah. And so you need to, you need to prove that you're a speaker worth inviting to a conference or whatever. And so that's when I started to realize like, Oh, well, okay. I need to make some sort of online presence or portfolio that, that proves that I am capable of this. And so I'll talk about my background in teaching and I'll actually give people information that is worthwhile. And, um, and yeah, so, so that's, sort of what started the ball rolling in that way. And so then I started to realize like, oh, I could start my own workshops. I could start my own online education. And then once that started growing, then people were asking me to speak at workshops and that kind of stuff. So that, that got the education side rolling and sort of how I've been able to monetize the YouTube channel more. How has that education side um, given you the ability to maybe even uh, disseminate some of the information online? And also go in, if you could also go into more of like, you know, actually teaching the shot of the workshops as well. Yeah. Uh, I've done about four or five workshops in person, uh, since 2018. And my last one was literally a year ago once lockdown started. So we, that week we switched everything to online and thankfully Mike was there to just like help me do all of that. Again, um, shout out Mike. Right. Yeah. Just always there in the background hustling. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You have to kind of figure out like, what am I going to put where, uh, people are always asking me, like, you can't just give away all your secrets or whatever on your YouTube channel, which I get, you know? Um, so really the way I look at it is I'm not hiding anything. I just see YouTube as more of like an, an appetizer and any kind of workshop or my Patreon or like that is like actual nourishment and like a real meal. And so that's kind of the metaphor I've been drawing. And so, yeah, if you scour my YouTube channel, you might get 75% of everything I teach, but it takes the, it takes you having to binge all of that. Whereas if you just come to my workshop, you'll get all of the information in a day or two, you know? Um, or if you do sign up for the Patreon, like every time I put out a video, you'll get a new piece of the puzzle. Um, and so I, I, I'm transparent about that too. It's like, I don't, I don't need to do some sort of gimmicky thing that makes you go like, Oh, but if you pay this much, you could get access to this. I'm like, I hope you have enough self-awareness to realize that like at whatever price level you're able to enter, you'll get 
more than you need. You know, like you'll have tons of information coming your way. Um, it's just a matter of like what works best for you. And uh, we're, we've recently been making PDFs for people who like learn way better just by reading. And I know there are tons of people who are like that, who want to literally print off a sheet of paper and take notes on it. Like I want to offer that to people who learn better that way. It's just like the teacher in me comes out and it's like, I want to give avenues to everybody in all the different ways that they want to learn. And, and I think accessibility is yeah. sorry to, no, but I, I just want to like talk about accessibility. And, um, one thing when I was in college, the, I actually, I, I had to sit down with, um, someone, I think it was like a computer programmer. Uh, I was working at an internship and she was, and I was, I had to like figure out how to like make our website better. And I was sitting down with like a university workshop, uh, like uh, WordPress person, whatever. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you know, uh, she's like, I'm disabled and I can't see. And sometimes I have to use like a reader on, or, you know, and she was, you know, kind of talking about her disabilities. And that's when I realized like accessibility to whatever information that you're giving is extremely important. So for example, when I'm doing proposals, um, I try. I have a written PDF version of, of a proposal, mm. and then um, I make a video like this uh, talking about it because people learn in so many different ways that what came across on a PDF paper, reading it, may not have come across how you thought it would be in a video. So I can emphasize certain points. I can maybe even put graphics on the screen to show, yep. to drive home the point. So accessibility is so, so important. That's such a good point. All of, all of our pitches for commercial work we've been doing as video pitches recently, but I sent one to a friend, uh, John Bunn. He, has, he runs the podcast, How to Film Weddings. Uh, and he was like, one thing I, and my wife said this too, like one thing I would change about this pitch is it's great. Like the video is amazing. You have all of the content and information written as well in the video, but give them a PDF option as well. Like do both. And yeah, you're so right. Like he, someone, someone at another pitch, someone actually asked for a PDF and I made the video and he was stoked about the video. But my wife again was like, but he asked for a PDF. So do both. And I'm like, you're right. Yeah. It makes more sense. Uh, because he might not want to search through the video and find the, the spot that shows it all laid out visually. You know, he might just want to look at a piece of paper. But you're right in the tensionality and like being able to communicate emotion is so much more powerful through a video presentation. And if you have the ability to do that, like you'll knock people's socks off by doing that. So, so we've talked about like YouTube and stuff like that. Uh, you are now doing you know, separate YouTube channels besides just your normal channel with all the wedding filmmaking stuff. You're also doing, a, you know, the podcast, The Rally Cap. Um, can you talk more about, let's do a Rally Cap first, and then we can kind of dive deeper into, you know, the other, the YouTube side. Yeah, totally. I, I really wanted to start a podcast in the midst of growing a YouTube channel as well, but it was just that added component of, I, I can't handle one more thing. And, uh, my buddy Steven has been an associate photographer on my, under my brand for a good year and a half now. And a year ago, we had this idea of potentially starting a podcast and what that could look like. I think we were literally on a FaceTime call and we were both editing and we were just talking over it. He's on the East Coast. I'm in Chicago. And we were, we were talking about industry stuff while we were editing. And I'm like, what if we just recorded these kinds of conversations where we're just, you know, we're both editing and talking. Uh, and so that was kind of that first idea and kind of had our, you know, 
our brains running on like, okay, this could be a possibility. And then all sorts of craziness happening in 2020, kind of putting all that on the back burner, still being sort of an idea. And we just kept coming back to this idea. Do we want to start it? Do we want to start it? And then um, fall and winter came around of last year and we're like, let's, let's make this happen. And so we created a plan and everything. And we ultimately decided we didn't want the, the podcast to be just strictly about wedding photography or one specific part of the creative industry. Uh, we are starting with interviewing a bunch of YouTubers and well-known YouTubers and people with online presence. Uh, but our long-term vision for it is like, we just, we just want to be a source of telling stories of creative entrepreneurs or just entrepreneurs in general of how they found success doing what they do and how they could do it sustainably over time and not just burn out. Um, and so, yeah, our, our initial name was slow burn and we were on that and then realized it's an enormous podcast. <laughs> uh, you did a few episodes. Yeah. We just like, we were so pumped on that name that we that just so cool though. You just like went for it. Yeah. We didn't know that. And that's so me. Like I always jump in before doing the research. Me too. That's me. Yeah. But the, the funny thing is that Steven's not that way. He was just so excited that he didn't realize. And it was hard to realize that we felt kind of lost. And so we took a few weeks to figure out what we wanted the new name to be. But just coming back to that whole thing of nostalgia and how much we love nostalgia we both have a background with playing baseball as kids. And so the whole idea of rally caps just was so enticing. He came up with a list of names and we said that one and we're like, Oh man, that hits, that hits really hard. Um, the whole concept of metaphor of like, we're all on a team together. Like we have community, we can rally together when we feel down, when we feel down and out, like you put the cap, you put the rally cap on and you, you push forward with your teammates. And so, yeah, we're really pumped about all that. Like we're about eight episodes in. We've been posting weekly, been really consistent with it and just seeing a bunch of growth in it. So uh, yeah, really pump, pumped about it. And the, the technical part of it is that this this com- kind of coming full circle is I wasn't, I said I couldn't handle one more thing, but Steven realized like the, the platform that I had built with my YouTube channel and the connections I had made with other creators that would be great guests. He's like, you know, I'm willing to come alongside you, go 50-50 on this. I'll produce it all. You just show up. Um, and his hope in that is like, maybe we could grow this thing big enough so that he doesn't have to be putting in all of that admin work, all of that editing work, but that that could be hired out eventually. Uh, that's the same with my podcast. Back in like, uh, I think it was July, um, a kid from my old high school uh, contacted me, said, hey, I see that you're doing some film work. And I, he's like, I'm really interested in that. Like, that's what I would like to do in the future. And uh, so we got to talk and, um, you know, it, 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 you know, it, it, we kind of fell off the wagon with each other um, after that initial contact. But um, one thing that I learned in high or in college in my entrepreneurship program was that if you uh, can delegate something that's going to ultimately give you time to focus on things that are more important, do it. And so uh, this actually this last week, I reached out to him uh, and I'm like, hey, uh, I know that you you know expressed interest in like wanting to do a podcast someday for yourself and wanting to get you know experience in, in the video industry. Would you like to edit my podcast? And he was like, of course. And so now, Michael, thank you. You're editing the podcast. I appreciate you. Um, but like, you know, it's just like it's it's being able to find ways to you know, give other people and not even like 
putting it on yourself saying like, oh, I did this for this person. It's like giving the other, other people the opportunity to experience something that they're interested and to explore something. Because I'm like, and I said to him, like, as soon as this is not fun for you, like, I don't want you to do it um, because I don't want you to dread having to, because I've definitely, I'm so bad at that. Like, it's like coming back to the yes, to the yes man thing. Like, I'll say yes to things like, oh, I'm dreading doing this. So I'm like, and, I, and he's a high schooler. So I'm like, man, like, you know, school's more important. Like, I want you to get some experience, but ultimately, like, if you're not having fun, do not do it. Because I, I wish someone would have told me that. <laughs> for sure. But it, it, that, that kind of, that kind of ambitious attitude can get you a seat at the table for, you know, when things do get monetized or something does grow. And so being willing to just take a step and try something like that can just lead to so much more, especially if you have the awareness of seeing, like if you're partnering with someone who has the potential to, to grow that thing. Um, yeah. So we have tons of ideas of what rally caps will be in the future and how we can monetize that as a podcast. Um, but yeah, 2021 will just kind of be the litmus test of us being able to do that. So let's go ahead and uh, we'll wrap this up here in a little bit. I want to talk more quickly about like the, uh, the YouTube aspect stuff that you're doing right now with like the finance side. Um, and then like the, the finance, yeah, the, the creative entrepreneurship channel that you're creating. So, uh, yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Uh, I realized very quickly when I was following people like Graham Stephan and Andre Jick and financial YouTubers, uh, Jeremy of financial education, like there's just, there's a bunch of them. Uh, I realized like what the, uh, the possibility for YouTube AdSense was with a financial channel and it intersected at this, this point of me really liking talking about finances and being transparent about, um, all my finances in business. And it felt like a really good opportunity of being like, well, if, if this is like one of the best paying genres on YouTube when it comes to AdSense and I really love doing it, why not pursue it if it's going to help people even more? Because I've already done financial stuff on my own personal channel. I, I made a video about passive income that um, got so many more views than my normal videos and how I made 100K a year as a wedding photographer. That one blew up and how my friend Austin got out of debt, 84 grand of debt in a year and a half. That one was such an inspiration to me, man. Yeah, like, and it's just this this transparency of talking about finance and all these videos just blowing up and being like, I, it's not that I'm gonna stop making those kinds of videos on my channel, but I would love to have a dedicated space where I could collaborate with somebody else like Mike, where we could like make actual mini documentaries about people getting out of debt and being the space of talking about our own financial journey and giving people inspiration of there's this whole, whole one we're starting this week. Uh, we filmed some of it in the summer and we're going to continue on it this week of uh, a playlist called one to 1 million of the concept of taking $1 and trying to turn it into a million dollars and just in any way possible, what that could look like with flipping things online. And we just uh, want 1000 calls on GameStop for next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see about that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we, uh, we just want that dedicated space there, um, to ultimately be something that we're passionate about first and foremost, and that we're giving value to people. Well, hopefully, um, in return, we can monetize and grow as well. And so I always want to, I always want to make it abundantly clear that 
I have community around me to try to keep me in check that if, if my mind ever goes to a place of I'm only doing this to monetize it, um, that's where I've lost my entire philosophy of what I care about and who I am is that I, I really have no interest in making, like, I know that drop shipping exists and I know that like big money making things exist. Um, but I, I would just feel so empty doing something like that because so much of me as an educator and wanting to influence and like help other people, uh, find success in entrepreneurship and find success um, financially. And so I really want to meld those two worlds together where it's like, of course I'm an entrepreneur and want to build a business and make money and have a legacy for my family. But at the same time, I want to help other people do that same thing. And so just trying to always look through our content creation through that lens. Like, how are we doing both? You know, how are we helping other people? And how are we providing for our own families and our, our own businesses? Um, and just finding that, that, and uh, like the more and more I make this stuff, the more and more I'm triggering people online. Like there are definitely <laughs> comments rolling in of just being like, you only care about money and just be like, okay, like you can believe that. But like, I know, I know what our heart is in this process and we've actually made no money on this channel. We've only given money away. So like, you, hey, know, you like, know what? And that's the best part. You know what? Just giving them, see, that's what I, I find, you know, if, if you guys don't, I, whoever, if, if anybody out here has read rich dad, poor dad, uh, it's like, you know, one of the things is like, you know, make sure to give away a portion of your money. Um, you know, I, and to me, like when I do that, I just I feel like it's good karma. I've always like, you know, obviously you feel good about yourself. Um, and it's not, and I'm not donating money just like, you know, like to have expectations of getting the money back. Um, but I, I just think it's like some, in some form of good karma to do that. Yeah. It's just giving back to community in general is like, and everybody's different in how they do it as well, because you making the YouTube content that's free is also you just giving things like you're giving really good information away that could end up helping people monetize whatever they're doing or something brief that I said one time about getting out of debt and starting to invest. A guy took that to heart on one video I made and he invested in Tesla and like 10 times his money. And then now he's like, he's really into stocks and is just killing it in that game right now. He, he DMs me every once in a while and just being like, thank you so much for making that one video that one time. And he's making so much more money with investing than I am. <laughs> I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> he's balling out. Yeah. It's like, I, I was just a voice that helped him realize like the lane he wanted to go in and what he was passionate about. And at the end of the day, I'm like, that's, it's kind of priceless. Like it's, it's that whole concept of like, catch a fish for a dude or teach a man to fish. And like that whole idea of like, what does it look like to incentivize people to teach them how to fish for a lifetime? Like to teach them this concept of like, what are they going to do long-term? Um, what's going to motivate them to build something sustainable for themselves and not just something that's like a quick money maker or whatever. But yeah, like the heart is so important to me, the heart and philosophy. I'm always going to be making content that's helpful, but is going to be riddled with some sort of like, Hey, and this is my heart behind this. This is our heart behind this. I always talk about a huge template I use a lot is hook info heart on videos. Just like get them interested in the topic, give them a mess of information 
and then just hit them with my philosophy and why I think it's important and you know what's sustainable and what really matters. I'm glad you put your heart into it, man. That's a lot of that. A lot of times it's like you know it's some people are half-hearted. Some people just go into something expecting uh, things to kind of be given to them, and you know, I'm glad you're not like that. So. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, man. Yeah. Um, so let's wrap this up. Uh, let's wrap, yeah, so we can wrap up the podcast. Um, these are, you know, the people that listen to this podcast, they're, they're digital marketers, they're digital creators. Uh, what is, like, maybe one piece of advice that you'd like to leave them with? It's always what I teach in workshops and what I've learned from other workshops is, like, really understand what your why is. Um, I think in the entrepreneur uh, world, it's it's so easy to chase different things that are trendy and exciting and what people tell you you should chase but i think the the best way to run something sustainably is to have a strong philosophy on why you're doing what you're doing and if you haven't done that take the time however much time you need to figure out what that why is and how you can communicate that why to anybody you collaborate with or anybody that hires you so that it could be sustainable for you and that you're not just running on something that's empty. Awesome. Eric, the words, they leave me speechless. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, man, I, I thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate you coming out today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's the podcast. If you'd like to know more about Eric, I'll drop his links in the descriptions below. And again, thank you so much for watching, and I hope you have a great day. See you later.